Welcome to New Destiny Christian Center's Message of the Week. We pray that you enjoy this message and that it blesses you in your walk with God. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at www.NewDestinyChristianCenter.com. Well, we're in for a real treat tonight. Praise God. You know, in a year of activation, part of activation is getting tapped. You know what tapped is, right? You're minding your own business and you get the tap on the shoulder. Amen. Well, tonight, God wanted our brother Carlos to come and bring the word. So let's give him a big God bless. How's that? You got me? Oh, this is great. Have to hold a microphone. Uh, first off, I just want to say hello. And God bless everybody. It's good to see everybody. We welcome all the women back from Avalanche. And the mountaintop experience that they always have when they're there. We, we definitely miss you when you're not around. Uh, tonight, I wanted to share a uh, particular word, and before I do, I wanted to ask my lovely wife to come up and share a brief testimony. co-worker who is overweight, um, underlying conditions, um, 62, she ended up with COVID. Um, so she was out of work on like a Friday. By Sunday, she had tested positive for COVID. So I talked to her every day until about Friday, um, and I had this urge to pray for her. And I came in, and Carlos was like, are you okay? I was like, no. I said, I got to go to the prayer room. So I went upstairs to the prayer room and I started praying and interceding for her, um, praying in tongues, groaning, just asking God for her life um, because I know he can do it. I know he can do it. Um, and I told him, I'm not leaving here until you promise me that she's going to be healed and she's going to walk out of that hospital. I'm not leaving. You're going to promise me because I know that you are God who delights in making and keeping your promises. So I'm not going anywhere sweating it's not everything but when i got that promise he said i'm going to heal her i'm going to allow her to walk out that hospital i need you to call her and pray for her and get her saved all right i'm on the phone i'm and i'm trying to talk to her and her breathing was so labored i just i couldn't get over it because in the morning she didn't sound like that But then I was like, okay, just don't say anything. Just let me pray for you. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to get her saved because she can't talk. Um, See, always putting God in a box. Uh, (laughs) So I just prayed for her. By that, that was Friday night. By that Monday, I found out, I got to work, found out that she was put on a ventilator that Saturday. So I knew that's why I needed to pray for her. And then immediately I thought about not getting her saved. And I was crushed because this could be her eternity. And it would have fell on me is how I felt. But then I remembered the promise. 
because he is a God that delights in making and keeping his promises. So just like you would a little kid and you promise a little kid that you're going to go somewhere or do something, I said, God, you promise. Don't forget, remember your promise. God, I remember what you said to me every single day. I, rem- I, t- I said to God, don't forget your promise. So uh, fast forward a few weeks, um, and every day her brother would send the executive team an update on text messages to let us know Dina's condition. And one week she had a terrible week. She, her lung was punctured because they tried to take the breathing tube out. Her kidneys um, failed. They, she had to be put on dialysis, and then she had to have an emergency colon surgery. I didn't care because I remembered the promise. I didn't care. So my boss comes into my office and he's like, you know, Dina's really not doing well. Um, You know, it doesn't look good. I said, oh, no, 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 we're not doing this. I said, because she will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I know that we serve a God who restores everything that she lost. And we started praying and he puts his head against the wall and he's crying and he's praying in tongues and we're praying and we're praying. And you know, once we finish praying, he comes to me, he gives me a hug and he just thanks me. See, the world needs what we have. They need that. So when we started getting that text messages, I changed it. Instead of telling God, remember what you promised me, I put it in a text for everybody to see. I gave them scripture. I gave them declarations. I decreed everything because I know that God delights in keeping his promises. So fast forward, she was in on a ventilator for four weeks. Four weeks. She comes off the ventilator. This past Monday, Dina called me. Dina called me. She called me. She can't move her body. I said, oh, that's all right. That's okay. She was like, I don't know if I'm going to be on dialysis all my life. I said, oh, don't claim that. I was like, you're going to be fine. But see, it's your faith. We serve a resurrected God. You know what I mean? He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. We get to change our atmosphere with God's word. You know what I mean? When they come to you with that stuff, no. I got promises. I got a th- thousands and thousands of promises here. You know, so I'm just so excited. So, oh my gosh, I feel like Christmas, you know. Um, but, you know, she, she, according to her, she has a long road. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to keep praying. And God, remember what you promised me. But it's such, it's so exciting. So, yeah. She, she can't preach. God, God didn't call her to do any of that. I, I listened to that. I got so full. I feel like I don't even have to stand up here and say anything. Like, we're, we're in the bonus time. I, I thought that testimony was important because I think testimonies are important. You know, especially because of the season that we're in. We're in a season of activation, right? So, in the Bible, we go from uh, the book of Acts to the book of Romans. But the book of Acts never ended. Yes. It never ended. We're still in the process of the book of Acts. God is still alive and God is still moving. So it's encouraging when we hear what God is doing in the life of other people because when we hear that, we we can remember that God is not a respecter of persons. 
that God doesn't show favoritism or partiality, that if he did it for Kia, he's going to do it for any one of us if we just simply believe and take him at his word. God is going to do it in his own time because he's not slack concerning his promises. Can you hear me? Okay. So I wanted to share that because I think it's important and it ties into what I want to talk about tonight. So I'm just going to briefly pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have allowed us to gather tonight. We thank you for your precious presence that is all around us tonight, Lord God. We thank you that you have given us eyes to see. We thank you that you have given us ears to hear, Lord God. We thank you that you have given us a mind of understanding that we have the mind of Christ. And we just ask right now, Lord, by your spirit, that you do what only you can do. That you come and meet us right where we are. And you leave us, we leave here tonight changed and completely undone, ready to run for you in a way that we never have before tonight, Lord. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... I wanted her to share that testimony because I want to talk to you tonight from a place called Activation Through Intimacy. Talk, sir. Talk. Activation Through Intimacy. So what I heard in her testimony was she was praying, right? She was praying it, and God spoke a word to her. And she took that word to heart, and she prayed that through. God told her what he wanted to do in the life of her coworker. See, that's something else that, I, that really blew me away, and it has me looking at things a lot differently because I'm not going to tell all my wife's business. She could tell her own story, but she's not completely happy with where she works. And if she had her way, she wouldn't even be there. And this situation that occurred might be completely different, or God would have found somebody else to pray that situation through. What was there? Was there other people around her that had that level of prayer in them to, to do what it was that needed to be done? I, I can't answer that question. I don't know. But all I do know is God puts us where he puts us for a reason. See, we think we go where we go just to, to make our checks so we can pay our bills. And we do. We do. That, that's, that's why we go to work. But God has also attached lives to us. God has also attached lives to us. They're, they're not just coworkers. There are people that God has given each and every one of us an opportunity to reach for the kingdom. Every day we go to work and we look at these people sometimes that we think that we don't even like. Sometimes they don't even like us. And it doesn't matter because that's not what we're there for. We're not there to be liked. We're there to be light. We are there to be light. We are there to preach the gospel with the way that we live and with the words that we speak. So, Jesus came to this earth to accomplish many things. And I wrote a few down, and I want to share them. This list is not exhaustive, and it's not in any type of order. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. I'm sorry, I didn't start the timer. He came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus came that his people may have life. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus said that he did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. He said, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What that means is that Jesus came to accomplish all that the Old Testament foretold and complete all the righteousness that the Old Testament required. Jesus also came to seek and save that which was lost. The Bible says that Jesus did not come to be served. But he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
The Bible also says that Jesus came to do away with the works of the devil, or as we like to say around here, Jesus came to destroy what was destroying us. Jesus' power and presence destroys the work of the devil. I, I like the summary. The good news then is that Jesus is Lord. As the king of the kingdom, he has broken or brought to nothing the power of Satan and destroyed his works, including the works of sin and sickness, brokenness of lives and communities. Jesus has the authority to restore what is broken in every aspect of human life. And he invites us to share in that authority and join the work of restoration as his kingdom is made known in this earth. That's what we're here to do. Everything that I just read that Jesus came to do, that's what we're here to do. Yeah. As we see Jesus, we see many things in his first coming. Each one seemingly is more impressive than the last. But Jesus accomplished something else that I feel is far too neglected in our understanding. Jesus came to bring us into an intimate relationship with his father. Like, just, just grasp that. We talk about that a lot, but I want you to really think about it tonight. Think about it in a way maybe you never have. He came to bring us into an intimate relationship with his father. See, in intimacy is a funny thing. When, when I say the word, you should see some of the reactions. Like, we, we say the word intimacy, men sometimes just kind of like slump a little, like. We look sometimes like, well, oh, here's, where's he going with this? What's up with the intimacy? The women, they kind of like perk up. Their eyes get real big. They, they get excited because they like that. They live for that. But for us men, it's a little different because when we hear the word intimacy, we think about times where we said something and our wife says something to us like, well, how are you feeling? Or what were you thinking when that happened? Why, don't, why aren't you talking? Why, why, why aren't you... Why don't you say that? And we think, well, you should be able to read my body language and my grunts should suffice. <laughs> like I, I said, mm -hmm. like you, 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 you should have picked up on that. You should have known what I was talking about. You know what I mean? For, for a woman, it's not like that at all. They want intimacy. They, they want deep level connection. And that's what God wants. That's what God wants from us, a deep level connection. I mean, Really think about it. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in it. The God of the universe. That the Bible says that, that God sits encircled above the entire earth, above the circle of the earth. He's enthroned above the circle of the earth, and, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers to him. Yes. That, that, that's the God we're talking about. That the mighty and awesome God who speaks at a word and it's done. That God wants to know each and every one of us personally. He wants to know each and every one of us personally. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, Matthew 27, verse 51, it says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. See, this is very important because the veil in the scripture is symbolic of Christ's body and the new way that was now signified, that a new living way was open to God. 
that had, never, that had not been there from the time of Adam and Eve until then. See, the veil was, was ripped in such a way that it was ripped from the top to bottom, and that's very significant. See, because if it was just a, a natural earthquake, the veil would have tore from the bottom to the top. But it tore from the top to the bottom because there was a reason. The invisible hands of God yes. were, was, were tearing the veil. Yes. And, and he was ushering us into a new way of communion with him. He was allowing us to, to, to be with him in a way that, that we did not understand. He was tearing the veil. He, he separated that, that curtain he tore down the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, yes. allowing us to come into his presence where we no longer needed a high priest yes. because Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. And he and he alone now ushers us into the presence of God. This meant that, that we, you know, I, I don't want to upset anybody's Beliefs from the way that they grew up. You know what? Let, you know what? Let, let, me, let me get off that because no need to be politically correct. That, that whole priest thing? No. It's Jesus. Our, our access is through Jesus. It's through Jesus. First Timothy 2 and 5 says that Jesus is our mediator. He is the mediator between God and men. In other words, it's Jesus takes the things of men to God and the things of God to men. And he alone opens up the door for us to have access. We need not go through anybody. See, we have to understand that. Because I think we have a mentality that if we can't get to the person to pray for us or lay their hands on us or something like that, then we're just stuck in the water and we're not going to get any prayers answered. See, see we, we have to understand what God has done for us. That there are people that God anoints to do special things, but when it comes to access to God, that is for each and every one of his children. That is for each and every one of his children. God has given that to every one of us. You don't have to have a collar. You don't have to have some type of seminary education degrees or, or whatever. You don't have to have any of that. All you have to have is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, Mom, I'm going to give you a second chance. Hebrews chapter 1. Yeah. Go ahead, Mo. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, Jesus has ushered us in not only into a different type of relationship with the Father, but he's ushered us in into a different level of intimacy. See, Webster's Dictionary defines a relationship as a connection, an association, or involvement. Intimacy is defined as a close, familiar, and usually affectionate or loving personal relationship with another person or a group. See, from Genesis chapter 3 until the Incarnation, God's plan of redemption was progressively unfolding in human history. That's really what that scripture was just saying to us. God revealed himself in various ways at various times to various peoples. And everyone had their own understanding of who God was, and they were to live according to that understanding. 
That is how we all serve God in our time. It, God has always provided ways for his people to be righteous in his sight. He gave them the law. He instituted the sacrificial system. But these relationships were never personal. You ever thought about that? Like, seriously, have you ever thought about that? They were never personal. They knew God. They knew, they knew God. They knew him the best way they understood God, the, the way that God revealed himself to them. But it wasn't personal. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, please. This is the, the context of God handing down the law. Ten Commandments. It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we'll die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Yeah. What, an, what an incredible, I'm sorry, okay. What an incredible contrast that is between the relationship that Moses had with God and that the people had with God. Moses spoke with God face to face. He was a friend of God. God's people were afraid. They were afraid at, at God's voice. They didn't even want to hear God. They, they wanted a go-between. They wanted somebody to stand in the gap because they were so afraid. But God offers us today something deeply, deeply intimate. Why am I pointing any of this out and why is this significant? Because it clearly contrasts the way things were in early redemptive history, and it shows us the precious privilege that we now have in Christ, which was always the Father's plan. Romans chapter 8, 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit yes, that we are the children of God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was always God's aim. That was always what God was looking ahead towards. That's what everything in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of. The time that was going to come where we had the Spirit of God back inside of us that was lost. That's what everything was foreshadowing. If we are given such an incredible privilege, why do we not experience more intimacy with God? Is it as simple as just a lack of understanding? Is it that we, we don't know that we can actually have it? Are we, are we so engrossed in the trappings of religion that that just seems like it's enough? Or is it something deeper? I want to talk a little bit now about the problem with intimacy. To answer that question, I think we need to go back to the beginning. To say that sin and the fall of man did a number on human beings 
would be one of the grossest understatements that anybody could ever make because it changed everything. It changed how we were originally intended to function and relate, and it completely perverted and corrupted it, the way that we related to God and the way that we relate to others. In, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see this in, incredible summary about God just being creative and doing everything that was in God's heart to do. And everything that God made, he said it was good. It, it was exactly the way he wanted it. it. It was good. And then over the process of time, God, God created man. God created woman. He, he gave them dominion. He, he told them that they were to be fruitful and to multiply and to be stewards of his creation. He gave them, they had everything that they could ever want. They had everything that they could ever ask for. They lived in a perfect situation in the presence of God. I mean, what more could you ask for? Isn't that what our hearts cry out for? Yes. Couldn't ask for anything more than that. But unfortunately, there was some deception that took place and that just wasn't enough. In the, in the garden, they had everything that we are now born into the world searching for. They had identity. They had security. They had purpose. And they had total acceptance. We're, we're born into the world searching for those things. We grope for those things. We, we do what we do looking for those things. And that was the free gift that God gave from the very beginning. And sin polluted all of it. See, that's the problem with sin. Sin always, always under-delivers on, on what it oversells. Always. It always, always, always does. See, see sin promises us something that it, it can never give us. It can never give it to us because it lies to us and tells us that it can hit that spot in us that will satisfy us. And we grope around trying to put square pegs in round holes our whole life, trying to find satisfaction in things that really have nothing but death in them. No life whatsoever. But we think it's just going to be the next thing that does it, and we're going to find completion. If I just get that house, it's going to be it. It's going to be it. My life's going to be everything I ever wanted it to be. If I can just get that car, if I can just get that job, if I can get, get that man, if I can get that woman, if I can get this, if I can get that. And every time we get that, that, there's still an emptiness there. Right? I mean, we all can testify to that, right? It's not just me. I, I had things I just had to have. Man, when I get that, that's going to be it. I'm going to be, yep, nope, nothing. Empty. Empty. Why would I put all that effort into this? Why would I spend my money on that? Nothing. Why? Because it wasn't created to do that for me. It wasn't created to satisfy us. We can only be satisfied from the source of our, our creator. That's the only thing that can satisfy us because we were created for eternity. God set eternity in our hearts. And he is the only one that can satisfy that, that God craving that, that groans deep down inside of us. Everything else is an imitation. Everything else will just leave us mad because it didn't give us what it said that it was going to give us. So we, we, we go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and we get a shift. 
back in, in Genesis now, chapter 3, I'm picking up. The man and the woman who are in the garden, enjoying the presence of God, communing with God spirit to spirit in the cool of the day, enjoying God's presence, fulfilling God's purpose, loving life. Then the enemy comes, deception takes place, and everything that God says was going to happen, happened exactly the way God said. God said you can have everything, but the one thing you cannot do is eat from one tree in particular, and that's exactly what they did. They disobeyed God. They created high treason against the king of the universe. And God could do only what he, what he could do. And he had to allow everything to take place the way it took place. And he judged everything that had anything to do with how that situation went down. And, and we changed completely from that time on. The way that we were created was completely perverted. And we went from being created in perfection to being cast down and, and receiving a nature. We went from not being able to sin, in a sense, because we didn't know sin, to, have, to getting, receiving a nature that now all we could do was sin. All we could do was sin. Like, what a drastic shift and a drastic change that is. And, and Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, after all this fallout takes place, it says that the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. I'm going to read on, but I want to touch that passage. Right there, what happened before our very eyes was the birth of religion. That was the birth of religion. Their eyes were open. See, Satan is a liar. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's been that from the very beginning. And he, he's very crafty. Like this, this passage said, he's subtle. He's crafty. He's slick. He tells half-truths that total whole lies. Yes. Everything about him is a liar. Every time he speaks, it's nothing but a lie. Mm -hmm. And he tries to run the same game on us that he runs on these. See, we're not to be ignorant of, of his schemes, his devices, how he rolls. We're not to be ignorant because he runs the same game that he always ran. He, he wants us to question God. He wants us to question God's goodness. He wants to get us asking when we know clearly what God has said to us. Did God really say? He, he, he tries to get us to question God's goodness and his character. He, he, he says to him, God's lying. You're not going to die. What would you die for? God, just don't, God doesn't want to, to share his shine with you. That's what it is. God knows that once you do that, you're going to become just like him. Mm -hmm. And he's just trying to keep that away from you. He tries to paint God like God's not good. We, we have to understand that because we have to understand when we hear these voices in our heads. We have to understand where that's coming from, that that's coming from the enemy of our souls. So we, we see here that something crazy took place, that you go from walking in the cool of the day with God you were, you were naked. You, you didn't even realize it because you were so innocent. I mean, I mean, you were completely naked. You were spiritually naked. You were physically naked. You were emotionally naked. In the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, 
you find out in the blink of an eye that now you are naked and you don't like what you see. So you run and you go and you grab fig leaves, you tie them together, and you cover yourself. See, that's what religion is. That's what religion is. Religion is you attempting to cover yourself in the presence of God. You trying to make yourself acceptable in the presence of God. That there's nothing that we can bring to the table when it comes to sin and being right in God's eyes. If we don't come with the Christ, we don't come at all. We, we don't have a shot. We don't have a leg to stand on. It, it, it is Jesus or it's nothing. Jesus is the way that God has provided for us to be right in his sight. We have no leg to stand on outside of it. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We, we, we have no chance. We have absolutely no chance. So we see our first family become religious in the blink of an eye. And God heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool day, and he asked Adam and, excuse me, cool the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. It's so sad just to read it. Like it's sad to read it. What they, what they were created to experience and enjoy, and how fast they fell, and where they fell to. How, how do you go from experiencing God's presence and being completely fulfilled in God to hiding? How does it happen? So God starts asking some questions, and please understand that when God's asking questions, he's not looking for any information. God knows everything. He knows everything. He, he, he wasn't trying to get any information. You, you want to know what God was saying? What God was really saying to him was, yo, dude, where you at? Where you at? What are you doing? What are you doing? What happened? What happened? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I don't know if you're a highlighter, or a note taker, circler, whatever, but in that verse, verse 10, there's three words that really stick out. Afraid, yes. naked, and hid. See, we have to understand that because that's the nature that was passed down to us. And that's what we do. That's what we do. When we, are, when we realize our nakedness before God and before people, we become afraid and we hide. That's what we do. That is how we interact with each other. See, we, we see that there's fear now. Men and women now experience something that they never experienced, and that now they're experiencing fear that is rooted in shame. That they see their nakedness, they're ashamed of it, and they're afraid. And now we see in, in verse 10 here that there's hiding that's rooted in insecurity. Adam finally re he realizes that he's naked, which he has been the whole time, but now he's insecure about it. He's insecure about it, and it causes him to hide. See, we, we really have to get an understanding of that because that's what we do. That's what we do. I, I'm not going to get on my, my social media soapbox. I'm not going to do it. I'm not saying social media is bad. It's hilarious a lot of times. Very funny. I see a lot of funny stuff on social media, but the garbage that I see on it drives me crazy. And, and some of it is so bad it makes me hate it, but you got to take the good with the bad. 
right? But when, when I look on social media, that's what I see, by and large. I see insecure people hiding. Hiding behind posts and camera filters. Trying to present this, this, this life that they're not even really living. Because they're not even the people that they're projecting themselves to be. It's a bunch of image management. Because we're naked. We're naked, we're insecure, and we're hiding. And it's how we relate. It's how we relate to each other. See, some, you, you might come into this church and say, you know what? This church is awesome. It's great. These people are so loving. They make me feel so welcome, but they really knew who I was. They really knew what I did. If they really knew what I struggle with still to this day, it wouldn't want nothing to do with me. They, they wouldn't want to hang out with me. They wouldn't want to invite me to any type of fellowship. Because we think that if somebody really gets to know us deep down, that they're not going to like what they see. And it's going to cause them to reject us and to walk away with us. See, that, that's our insecurity. That, that's what was passed down to us. See, we, we have to identify that because Jesus gives us power to live above that. We have to understand that, that that is the old nature, that 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 is not who we are. That is not what we are becoming. What you used to be is what you used to be. That's passed away. You got to leave that where it is. If it's dead, why are we dragging it around with us? If we're dead, why are we dragging it around with us? Because it's over. It's over. Like down in, in verse 21 now, it says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin, and he clothed them. See, there, there's a psychological thing happened here, and, and God is doing stuff. If we remember not too long ago, Adam was naming these animals, right? Where did the tunic of skin come from? It's one of the animals, right? One of the animals that was slain. So God was, God was teaching him that a life had to be for a life. That if something was going to live, something had to die. It, it, it was a, a psychology that, that, that was taking place for, for Adam to see. See, God was showing, even in this verse, we see the mercy of God from the onset when it comes to his wayward creation. We see God's love and his mercy from the onset. God could have did anything. He could have he did anything, but what he said was, here, let me do something for you. Why don't you give me your religion and let, let me give you my righteousness. Let me take your religion and let me give you my righteousness. That's what God did in that gesture right there. And it was also a type of Christ. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do because Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. See, none of this took God by surprise. Everything that I'm talking about, nothing was a secret to God. Like, it, like, like God didn't backpedal and say, oh, we got to have a contingency plan. If this goes this way, we're going to do it. No, God knew this from the beginning, from the foundation of the earth. And his mercy, his grace, his love, everything was rushing toward us from the very beginning. See, man attempted to be religious and hide himself with fig leaves, but God's plan was always to make man righteous on his own. There, there's nothing we add to this. There's nothing we could bring. There's nothing that we could do to make ourselves acceptable in the sight of God. Nothing. 
That is why Christ is so important. That's what differentiates Christ from every other so-called spiritual guru or leader or religion or whatever it is that people talk about. That's the difference. That's the difference. We serve a living God. We serve a living God. We don't just serve some wise teacher. Jesus was that. But he was much more than that. He was much more than that. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. And he is the only way that the problem of sin can ever be resolved on this earth. That there's no relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. That's why it's, it's important that we understand once and for all what Jesus did for us. Because if we don't, the sin in our lives will always condemn us. Our consciences will always condemn us and will not allow us to draw near to God. That's why it says in Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it talks about us being in Christ, being new cre creatures, new creations in Christ, born from above. All things have passed away. All things now have become new. See, we have to understand that. We have to grasp that. Because if you don't get it, you'll never be intimate with God. You will never be intimate with God. Can I First John 3.20, please? I love the way this reads in the New Living Translation. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. And he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. That, that, that is like, that's so beautiful. That, that, that is such a beautiful, beautiful verse. So we have to understand what Christ did. We have to understand the importance of confession. See, we, we have to confess our sins. I don't know what happened to confession. I don't know what happened to calling sin, sin. Like, does anybody call sin, sin anymore? Does sin even exist anymore? It's like we, we don't even talk about it. You know why we don't talk about it? Because the world wants to say that sin doesn't exist because if sin exists, then God has to exist. And then if God has to exist, then some standards have to be followed. And because we love ourselves and we, we love darkness and don't want anything to do with the light, we'd rather just act like God doesn't exist and sin doesn't exist. Now, nah, Burger King, though, we don't get it our way. We, we don't get it our way. We, we don't get to make these rules. We don't get to make these rules. See, that, that little game Satan ran in the garden, that, that, that was a lie. We don't get to be God. We don't get to be God. No matter how stupid we look trying to usurp his authority down here on the earth, it ain't amounting to anything. When it's all said and done, it's not going to amount to anything. We're wasting our time. If we don't fall on our faces and worship the one and true living God, we have missed it and we are wasting our time. See, we got to confess as a people of God, if we are going to be intimate, we have to confess our sin. We have to call it with what it is. See, because of, I'm sorry, I, I, I got to read one more verse. I got to read one more verse. Thank you, Lord. See, after this whole thing boils down, it said that then the man said, the woman who you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree and I ate. 
And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I have ate. Like this is classic. This is, this is classic. This is classic blame shifting 101. Justification 101. And this is what we do when we are not being real with God, ourselves, and the truth. This is what we do. So this, this, this man here, who just a little while ago that was running around, bone in my bone, flesh in my flesh. Oh, yeah, she's great. Like, look at her. I finally have a partner. Like, this is awesome. I, I love her with everything that's in me. That same dude, just a little while later, when everything hits the fan, turns around and says, it's that chick you gave me, man. It's that chick you gave me. I was doing my thing. I was doing my thing. Like, I was having fun. Like, God, it was just me and you. We were chilling, walking in the corner today, and you had some big idea about giving me some chick that messed everything up. Like, maybe you should have rethought that one, Lord. I mean, that, that, that's just a little too personal for us as men, isn't it? Like, has any, any man in here, don't raise your hand if, unless you're crazy, but has any man in here ever had that thought? God, I, I was doing it until she didn't want to do it. And, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's all of the Bible. It's real. The Bible is real. It's real life. This is real life on these pages. He, he turns around and, and just throws her under the bus, and the bus was moving fast. <laughs> and then he says, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So, She's a quick study. She's like, yo, he threw me under the bus. I'm going to throw the serpent under the bus. Like, what am I going to say? It was my fault. I, I was deceived. I was deceived. And where was that dude at? He should have been there when I did it in the first place. See, but that, that's just what we do. That's what we do. That's why we have to confess our sin. That's why it says in, in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, that he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. See, we got to call it what it is. We got to call it what it is. We got to confess. We got to say what God says about it. See, it's, if you premeditate a situation where you're married, you meet up with a woman in a hotel room, you have sex with that woman, don't call that a, mis a mistake. Don't call that a misstep. Don't call that an indiscretion. The Bible calls it adultery and it's a sin. Let, let's call it what it is. Let's call our sin what it is. Because until we, we get real with God and get real with ourselves, we do not have forgiveness. We do not have cleansing of the stain that, that comes upon our souls because of our disobedience. See, see, we have to be real with this thing because when we're real with God, we have intimacy with God. But, but as long as we want to play games with God, then we'll just go through the motions, we'll put our leaves on, and we'll come to church. True story, right? True story. I'm not making this up. That's what we do. That's what we do. We, we got to be real with God. We've got to be real with God. So 
The last thing I want to talk about, and I'm going to get out of here, is I want to talk about the promise of intimacy. The promise of intimacy. That, that was always in the mind of God to restore the intimacy that was lost in the garden to everyone that would call upon the name of Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 31 starts, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with those Make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hallelujah. Have Ezekiel 36, please, real fast. God says that I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take your heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. See, it's always been God's plan. That there was always going to be a culmination. There was always going to be a change from the way things were to the way things were going to be. See, in, in the beginning, as I talked about earlier, Adam and Eve lost that communion with God. That they lost that spirit-to-spirit communion. Everybody in here knows that who they truly are is a spirit, right? Yes. Anybody recreated the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that we are truly a spirit. We're a spirit. We have, we have a soul, and it's all wrapped in this, this flesh, this covering, this body. But we are truly a spirit. And God communes with us through our spirits. God is a spirit. Whoever's going to worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right? So, so we commune God with God with our spirits. See, when, when we understand that, we understand what Jesus was actually saying when he said, I've come that they may have life. We, we understand what Jesus was really saying. Jesus was saying, I'm coming to give you back what you had in the beginning and you lost. That's really what he was saying. I've come to give you life. I've come to give you God, God's quality of life, eternal life. See, we hear the words eternal life and our minds immediately go to duration. I'm going to live forever. Everybody's going to live forever. It's not duration, it's quality. It's quality. We have God's quality of life. God's quality of life indwells us. Do, do, do we believe that? Do we believe that? Because if we truly believe that, we better start activating. We, we better start rising up and, and doing things that we know it is that we need to do because we believe that, because it's the truth. It, it's what God says. God didn't give us his life so we could take up a role in a church. That, that's not God's plan. God, God's not changing the world by that. You know, when people come in, that's great. That's great. We love when people come in. That, that, that's easy fishing. That, that's, like, that's like fishing in a swimming pool. You know what I mean? Got a captive audience there. But, but, but what about when, 
we're asked to go out? What about when we're asked to go out and bring people in? What, what, what about when we're asked to meet people right where they are? That, that one-time conversation that we're never going to have again. And God lays something on your heart to say to somebody that you don't even know. And you walk over and say, hey, I know this sounds stupid, but. And then you say what God says, and all of a sudden it don't sound so stupid. See, see that's, that's what God wants. That's what God wants. But if, if we're going to hear God in that way, we're going to have to start being more intimate. We're going, to have to, we're going to have to get over ourselves and, and stop thinking that we're where we used to be because that's not even who we are. That's not even who we are. That's not who we are. Luke chapter 24, verse 49 says, Behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the power from on high. John chapter 14, please. If you love me, keep my commandments. Okay. 15 through 18. All right. It's okay, Mo. I'll work with that. If you love me, keep my commandments. Anybody ever heard of the book uh, Seven Love Languages? Okay. So the, the, the attempt of the book is to help you communicate better with the love language of your partner. And I actually wrote these down. There, there's gifts, acts of service, quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, communication, and expression of affection of love. See, the whole point of it is to know how to love the person that you're with. So you don't waste time thinking you're being loving in a way that they're not receiving it as love. See, the, the, the woman I'm married to, she, she's, the, she's a touchy-feely type. <laughs> she, she, she likes the physical touch. So if I came into the house with like a gigantic thing of flowers and candy and all that good stuff and gave her words of affirmation, she'd eat it up, she'd enjoy it, but she'd much, she'd much rather me ask her to sit down and give her a massage. She would much rather that because... That, that's her expression of love. She, she likes to be touched. See, in this verse, we see what Jesus' love language is. Jesus' love language is obedience. It's obedience. It's obedience. So he'll say, you know, I like all that stuff you're doing. That's great. I see you over there. Whoa, you really did over here. But I just need you to be obedient. I just need you to do what I tell you to do. All that extra stuff, that's great, but it's what I ask you to do that matters. It's what I ask you to do that matters. I, I need obedience, because if, if we're ever going to do what it is that God calls us to do, how's it going to take place if we don't do what he says to do when he says to do it? How, how does that happen? How does that take place? How does God get to move? We, oh, God, please, I, I just need you to move. I need you to take over this territory. Well, if you don't move, if you don't do what he says to do when he says to do it, how, how's any of the stuff you're praying for going to happen? A lot of times we just say, if, if, I, just, if I could just walk with Jesus, if, if Jesus would just be right here in front of me and, and I could just talk to him and, and do all these other things, then, you know, my life would be so different. And, and I think when I hear people say that, there, there's a total misconception 
of what they have. They don't even understand the spirit that indwells them. They don't even understand the spirit that indwells them because Jesus is with you. Yes. Jesus is walking with you. Everywhere you go, Jesus is with you. You have the spirit of Jesus with you. Yes. The, the, the same spirit that did every miracle that you read about in the book of Acts. That, that's, the, that's the spirit that indwells you. That's the Jesus that is in you. That, that's, that's what we possess. See, it, it says the acts of the apostles. I think it's wrongly named. I think it should be called the acts of the Holy Spirit done by the apostles. Long title, but that's what it is. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit done by the apostles. Every miracle that Jesus himself did was by the Holy Spirit. Jesus only did what he saw as Father. That's what Jesus did. Everything was done by the work of the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. The same Spirit that hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation yeah, yeah. is the same Spirit that lives inside of you. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? Yes. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever, do you ever think about the Holy Spirit being a person? Or have you, have you grown up in a church in a situation where maybe the Holy Spirit was... Maybe the way you saw the Holy Spirit in another situation has hurt the way that you think the Holy Spirit actually moves and is. Maybe, maybe somebody represented the Holy Spirit in a really weird way, and it wasn't the Holy Spirit at all. It was just flesh on display, trying to act like God was moving because when the Spirit isn't moving, you've got to conjure something up yourself. See, the, the Holy Spirit is not like the force in Star Wars. It's not some, some mystical field where energy is derived, where you can move things around with your hands. That's, that's not what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a divine living person. And, and he is with us everywhere. When we watch that movie, he's right there. When we say what we shouldn't say, he's right there. When we creeped out to that place we crept out to, he was right there. We can't lose him. Can't evade him. There's nowhere we can go to hide from the Spirit. Nowhere. He's with us at all times. So my question going forward, and what I want to stick in your mind is, if we are going to be activators of an area, how is our intimacy with the Holy Spirit going to change going forward? Because all it's going to take really is two things. Time. And obedience. It's going to take time and obedience. See, we're not going to grow closer to the Holy Spirit wasting time doing a bunch of stuff that really isn't amounting to anything. We're going to grow in the Spirit by spending time with the Spirit and learning how to hear the Spirit's voice. That is how we're going to grow close to the Holy Spirit. But like everything else that we have been talking about this year, it's going to start with activation. It's going to start with a decision of your will. So we, we can take rides in a car understanding that the Holy Spirit is right there. How many times have you taken an hour-long ride and not even just lifted your hands or your head or anything and just said, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for being right here with me, for watching over, keeping me, keeping all this traffic away from me. How many times do we spend long periods of, of days, hours, weeks even, without even acknowledging the Spirit of God that's in, inside of us. See, that's got to change. 
that's got to change. And nobody's condemned for it. But it's just got to change. What we're doing has to change. If we're really going to be about what we're talking about, some things have to change. We, we got to take, take this seriously. We, we got to acknowledge and we got to accept what is true. You know, I think the hardest job that the Holy Spirit has is convincing us of the truth because we, we believe so many lies. We believe so many lies. That's why the word says that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. See, we, we've been brainwashed. No matter how long you lived before you came to Christ, all that time till you came to Christ, you were getting brainwashed. You were getting indoctrinated by the world system, and the world's values, and the way the world lives, their culture. But we came to Christ, and all that stuff has to, we have to be reprogrammed. All that stuff has to change. So that means we have to be people of the word. We have to be people who are in the word, because that's how we hear the Holy Spirit's voice as well. Because he is the one that inspired this word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's literally God breathed. So that's how we hear the voice of God. One way we hear the voice of God is through his word. So when we have those thoughts that hit us, and it doesn't sound like the Bible, it doesn't sound like what's written down, we know that that's not God. That's not God, but you have to spend time if we're ever going to get there. We, 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 we got we to gotta get past every excuse that we're making. Well, one of the biggest excuses that the devil used to run on me about not getting in, into the word of my mind is, you're not going to understand it anyway. What are you going to read it for? You're not going to understand it. At, at that time, all I ever thought there was was a King James Bible. And I'm like, super fluidy and naughtiness. Like, what is that? Like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Like, it's not 1611. I don't get any of this. But then I learned that there were different translations. You know what I mean? And I realized that although they weren't word for word, it was the spirit of what was being said. It was the same even though the words were different. And once I started to read the word, I started to get a hunger for the word. I started to get a hunger for the word because we get an appetite for what we feed on, right? So if I sit around all day and watch Netflix, when I wake up the next day, I'm going to want to sit around all day and watch Netflix. Why? Because that's what I fed on all yesterday. But if I spend some time in the word of God, it's going to get so good to me. The fellowship, the intimacy with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be so awesome. I'll say, am I going to like sit around for five hours watching Netflix when I can go chill with the Spirit? I'm like, nah, I'll pass on that today. Because that's what God does in us. That's what God does in us. All I'm saying... <laughs> After all I've said, all I'm saying is we have to activate. We have to activate. We have to make a decision to do things on levels that we've never done before. You know, Pastor Dave talked earlier about, you know, tapping, saying you're it. It's activation. And, and the thing is, is we all have stuff in us that we don't even realize. We don't even realize. Our, our pastors realize this. That's why they're driving this home. Because they're not going to sit by and watch another year where people don't stand up and rise and do what they're called to do and be who they're called to become. They're not going to sit back and watch it anymore because they know they feel it. They know what God wants to do. And it's only going to take place if we rise up and do what God is calling us to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.
We're going to worship God for a minute. I'm going to ask Aaron to start playing, please. I love Aaron, by the way. I'm going to make a couple altar calls tonight. The first one that I'm going to make is for salvation. I don't take anything for granted. Just because we know each other, we see each other, we think we know what we know, I don't take anything for granted. The gospel was preached tonight. And it clearly says that we are, we are sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God. For all the sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all missed God's divine standard name for living. Like an archer misses a bullseye. We have missed God's divine aim for life. The Bible says that the wages of that sin, the price that we give for what we do is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, in God's mercy, he sent Jesus. And Jesus did what we could not do for ourselves. As I said earlier, it's a life for a life. It's, a, it's the great exchange. Jesus gives us his righteousness and he takes our filthy sin. That's what he did on the cross. That's what it meant when he hung on the cross and he said it's finished. That's what he meant when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was reconciling us. He was redeeming us. He was giving us an opportunity to no longer be under the wrath of God and have to pay our own sin debt. The Bible clearly says that you don't have to pray some long prayer or do anything that maybe somebody taught you down the line. All you have to do is simply place faith in Jesus Christ, believe that God has raised him from the dead. And that faith I'm talking about is saving faith. It's not mental ascent. It's not, I believe Jesus is a real person. He really lived. He's a, he's a historical person. That's not what I mean at all. I mean, you place your heart in Jesus. You give your heart to him. You give your life to him. You adhere to him. You cling to him. You rely on him. You make him your life. See, we have it twisted in America with our religion. We treat Jesus like he's some little garnish on the side of our plates. And Jesus is nobody's garnish. Jesus is the entire everything. So I'm giving you the opportunity now, if you do not know Jesus Christ in the pardoning of your sins, to come forward and we'll have somebody pray for you. Is there anybody? second call I'm going to make is for the backslider. You know God. You, you know what it means to be intimate. You, you, you've had times where you felt God and you knew he was with you. You felt his love. And then something happened. And that's something almost always is sin because sin separates us from God. See, but the Holy Spirit never went anywhere. He remained in the same place he always was. It's we who drift. Sometimes, just going through the natural course of our everyday life without spending time with the Holy Spirit, we look up one day, and like a ship carried away by the wind, we look back, and the shore is like miles away. 
And that's where it seems like Jesus is sometimes. But just like I read earlier from the beginning, after Adam and Eve sinned, it was God who rushed to them to cover them. And God is offering that opportunity now for you to come up and make your peace with them. God is married to the backslider. God loves you. God never stopped loving you. Maybe you just didn't understand that all you had to do was come to him and confess your sin. Maybe you thought that God wasn't going to love you anymore because that's what people have done. But that's not who God is and that's not how he operates. God is love. So if you've walked away and you want to come back, these altars are open. The last call I'm going to make is just for people who at the hearing of the word tonight understand that we're going to have to change our level of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. That we're going to have to do something different. That we're going to have to make a sacrifice. That we're going to have to be willing to be stretched beyond anything that we've ever been willing to be stretched. Because Jesus paid a price for each and every one of us, and he deserves a return on his investment. He deserves for us to become what he has enabled us to become as we are being conformed into his image. See, this isn't some magical prayer that anybody can do where they can lay hands on you and impart a better relationship with the Holy Spirit. So you have to do that work by yourself. Nobody can do it for you. Like people in the gym, you might have a spotter. Somebody might help you train. But when it comes down to it, you got to put the work in. You have to do it. So if the Spirit of God is speaking to you and touching your heart, let's just come up front and worship God together. Let, let's just praise God. Let's just offer ourselves to him in a different way. That's a good word. Carlos always has great content. I like that image management. I believe that when we want to be made into the image of Jesus, we're not going to be able to manage that. I heard the Spirit on him when he said, um, activated for an area. Activated for an area. And so I just say, those of you that are in DCC, it's the most comfortable you've ever been and you ever shall be. Amen? Because God has need of us. God has need of us. If you haven't discerned it yet, but there is an increased presence, and I pray that your awareness is increased. And I heard the Spirit of the Lord say that He will come if you'll just host Him in your personal, private lives in your personal spaces and places. Which makes sense with the word tonight because God desires intimacy. And I remember years ago hearing it this way, into me see. Because folks, when we stop hiding from God, we stop hiding from one another. And we can get real to get right. 
What I love about God is he's just, he'll fellowship with us around a mess to get us cleaned up. That's how much he loves us. Get ready. Get ready for the young to come in. Get to know them. Build a relationship with them. The older men teach the younger. The older women teach the younger women. Doesn't necessarily mean birth dates. I think there are like well over 200 people here on Sunday. And I just keep telling God we're going to create a problem for you. Pastor Dave's already got some creative ideas how to do it, but would you all join me in being the problem children in the kingdom that create real estate problems for Father, that create problems for space to contain what he's doing? It's like, there's my problem, children. Because I'm telling you, they're already coming, already coming. And so in your private spaces and places, if you don't have a prayer room in your house, if you don't have a space, go make one. Kick your shoes out, get in the closet, do something. As a little kid, you know what I used to do? I used to crawl under the bed. I don't think he'd get me out if I crawled under the bed now, but I'd crawl under the bed as a little kid and I'd pray. I'd pray. Get somewhere that's just your space and his space and meet with him intentionally. My husband's love language is time spent. Mine's active service, so I sit there spending time with him, telling him about the, no, just kidding. My kids tell me I'm all five, but I don't believe it's true. But spend some time with God and then just get up and obey him because he's calling you, he's drawing you. He'll talk to you. Some of you have been stuck and you cannot hear God. I'm telling you, if you will intentionally show up and treat it like any other appointment. I have some appointments tomorrow. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be all present. I'm going to have to turn my phone off. I'm going to have to be present. What does it do with the King of Glory when we show up just for Him and we're present? We're not doing everything else and Him, but we're present with Him. You're better off with 15 to 20 minutes of connection that's uninterrupted than multitasking and throwing Jesus in there. I liked what he said. He's not garnish. Amen. Amen. Proud of your dad tonight? He's a good man. Good man to model your life after. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're drawing us. We thank you that what I can initially see even after the end of this corporate day fast is an increased presence and we just say we want you God we're running after you we're running after you and everything you have for us hedge us in keep us on track Holy Spirit we bind every distraction and we say God that we're determined to spend time with you to be intimate with you that you would give us courage to allow you to into us see God we thank you for revival we thank you for your presence we thank you for increased awareness and we purpose to run after you we're hungry for you we're thirsty for you 
And Father, I declare and decree that we shall obey you right now and in this moment, God. I thank you for the people of God. I ask that you would bless them, those that are here, those that are not. We cover them in the blood of Jesus. We ask for a hedge of protection round about them, that you would hide them from evil, that you would keep them safe, that you would pass over their life, God, and leave a blessing behind. We thank you, God. We thank you that you anoint us to create a problem. God, we thank you for the many souls being saved. People that come to you and never leave you again. And Father, what I'm going to ask for, I ask for increased capacity to stay in your presence and to worship. Enlarge and increase our capacity. Some of you feel like, oh my gosh, when they start worshiping like that. See, when when you spend time with them, you can just go. You don't even worry about the time. But some of you, I heard the Lord say, enlarge capacity, increase capacity. So, Father, I thank you for it. I thank you for it. Father, I thank you for these young men who claimed your name tonight. Let the fire burn in their belly. Thank you, Jesus, that you bless the hands of your people, every business in this house. God, that you bless their businesses, that these businesses, these godly businesses would be blessed in Jesus' name. Thank you for a walk of sanctification, that we are a consecrated company before you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. People of God, be blessed. Be blessed, be blessed. Thank you for listening to New Destiny Christian Center's message of the week. We pray that this message bless you in your walk with God. Visit us on our website at www.newdestinychristiancenter.com or on our Facebook or Instagram pages.